And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves a brand new car. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, that music makes me happy. It sure does. I know it does every week, a little happier every week, and yet it's true, folks. And the and Colonel Jeff is the same way. We love that music. And, of course, that's the John Schrank Orchestra and the Kimberly Fuller Dancers featuring boy tenor Sev Seerlegal asking the musical question, if a picture is worth a thousand words, I'm wondering how many words is a big picture worth? Well, it's a good question, Sev. It's a heck of a question, but I would ask you another question first. You're wondering if a picture is worth a thousand words, how many words is a big picture worth? I would ask you, a big picture of what? That's the key there. What is it a picture of? A naked oil painting of Scarlett Johansson? A lot. It would be worth a lot. Right here in the studio alone, just between me and Colonel Jeff, I think the bidding would go pretty high pretty fast. But uh, that's that's one thing. That's a naked picture, a naked oil painting of Scarlett Johansson. Now, on the other hand, a naked oil painting of William Refrigerator Perry? Less. I would say much less. In fact, let's be honest, nothing. They, they, they'd, they'd probably pay you to take it away. And uh, I'm amazed they could keep him sitting there long enough to paint it. Because, you know, that's the thing about oil paintings. The subject has to be motionless. And emotionless. In any case, though, terrific question, Sev. And, uh, yeah, let's see. If a picture's worth a thousand words, how many words is a big picture worth? A picture of what? And a picture of whom? And I think we've answered that. And good news here on Milleronia. I have some good news for you, folks. The weather machine has been fixed. And that's good news for me. And for Colonel Jeff, even though he comes in right out from in and out from the mainland, that, uh, well, the weather machine's been fixed. So today is mild and gorgeous, just like me. But the weather really is terrific again. Everyone's happy. A quick warning, though, to all Milleronians listening, I've decided that one of the days of the next three weeks is going to be a blizzard. Freezing, cold, icy winds, hail, and snow. Lots of it. If that sounds a little too crazy for you, remember, we do have a weather machine. I have the keys to it, so it's always my decision. And anything is possible. I like snow. And it makes everyone forget the volcanoes. Which, I'll be honest, you know what? People understand the point of the volcanoes here, and I, I certainly do. It's my idea. And I think uh, all you folks out there, too, understand that, too. Someone does something or has really, really bad manners 
or breaks a lot of the rules here on Milleronia, and those are my rules. And if they break the rules, they get a walk to the volcano. And when they get up to the volcano, it doesn't end there. They get tossed into the volcano, and, well, they know what's what then. And by Amazon, PayPal, and my book, three of the greatest inventions and companies I know. I like Amazon so much already because they're the best company in the world. They do three things no other company does. One, whatever you want, they can get you. Two, they already have it. This is amazing. They don't have to make it, buy it, send for it. They don't have to do anything. They have it. Whatever you imagine that you want, they've got it already in a giant warehouse. And three, no matter what you order, they always send us a percentage of it. Now, that's for me and Colonel Jeff. And they send the percentage right here to the show. And we put it in the lock box, a strong box, a big iron box with a big key and a big lock. And we save that money for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in a separate place. That's right. Last time, we went to Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles, which was terrific. And I stopped in there a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned to you. Boy, that's a heck of a place. And uh, and last time we did, we did invite Dr. Chris, who came along with us. He took time off from his clog dancing lessons of the uh, University of Solvang, which is a real place. And those are real lessons. If you've ever had one, you know, whew, that's real. And uh, you know what, though? So, so next time for our big fancy fried chicken dinner and two drinks beforehand in a different place, next time we might, I might, maybe I will, invite Dr. Chris again. Maybe. Just might. And by boy, I'll tell you what, Amazon does all that and more. And if you want to go to Amazon, yes, you could turn on your computer. You could open your laptop. You could turn on your iPhone or whatever it is you have. But don't do that. That's the silly way out. That's no way out at all. That, you know, you, you, that, that, that makes you a jabber now, a moon calf. You don't want to be those, do you? No, you don't. What you do is you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> I always forget which one it is and how they end. And it makes me giggle every time. <laughs> That's a heck of a musician there. And so you do that, folks. What you do is you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> Get out of his way. He is honking. He is ready to pull over and find a restroom. And uh, so what you do is, folks, we'll take you to Amazon. Go to our website. We have a banner that says Amazon. Click that banner and then go take a nap. Lay yourself down in your big lazy boy chair and rock it way back and open a magazine and put it over your face and take a good nap. 
and we'll get you to Amazon. And by PayPal. I love PayPal, too. Boy, they're a terrific group. They, they make you feel like you're saving the world. And who doesn't want to feel that way? Whatever you do, remember, if you help people and help things, PayPal will like you. You can use PayPal. And my, my favorite part is mentioning to you that, by the way, instead of saying donate or, or pay what you like, or join the Platinum Committee. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of any of those categories. I like to say, buy us some drinks. That's right. But, you know, because, by the way, there are different levels. There's level one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! <laughs> I just keep loving that guy who shouts... Yes! <laughs> Way to go, pal. And look for the PayPal banner on our website, too. So every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit, and it means a lot to us. Thank you to everyone who has contributed already, and thank you to everyone who's about to. And by me, my book, my hit book, Spoiled Rotten America, that sold a lot of copies, and I'm very proud of it. And I worked very hard on it. And it's funny. It's as funny as I love being. And uh, there are signed hardcover copies of that book, Spoiled Rotten America, and they're available now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. Go to them. Get a book. Get my book. And you know what? Believe me, we'll both be happy. I think you're going to like it a lot. And uh, I'll tell you what. That brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. <laughs> That's right. I do. I love that. I love the, There's nothing better than a good joke. There really isn't. And I, I've said that before, but I mean it every time. And you know this, too. And sometimes, you know what, these jokes are good, and if you laugh and you say, how do you like that? I like that joke. Well, tell it to your friends, tell it to your loved ones, your family, anybody around you there. That's the best part of a joke. You can pass it on. And uh, here's a good one. The Colonel and I both liked this one. Two blondes go to buy a car. And they're friends, and the one says to the other, you know what, I need your help. I need your help making a decision here. I need your opinions on this. And they're good friends. So they both go to a car dealer, and the first friend says to the second one, okay, I'm going to get in the car, so you stand outside the car, and you tell me what works and doesn't work, okay? And her friend says, okay. And uh, the first one turns on the headlights, and her friend says, headlights work just fine. And the first one uh, steps on the brakes to check the brake lights. And the second one says, oh, the brake lights work just fine. And then she uses the turn signal. And her friend says, yes, oh, no, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> and I think they're still there. We both liked that joke here. Colonel Jeff and I both liked it. And that lives in the joke world that I love. And so does he. And I think so do you. The joke world is, is it silly enough? Is it dumb enough? And I think those are compliments, by the way, for a good joke. 
silly and dumb. It doesn't mean that they're those are. It doesn't mean those are bad adjectives. Those are good ones, and I think that is one there. And by the way, that has a great a traditional classic structure for a joke. Is as soon as I say in the beginning, uh, two blondes go to buy a car. When you just hear that word, two blondes. You and I, and everyone already know, including blondes, know what that means. It means, oh, they're young women, they're friends, they're pretty, and well, they may they may not be uh, physics professors, you know, who knows what they do for a living, but that's fun in a joke structure where all you have to do is say that, and you already know, wow, they're pretty and they're friends, and this will be a good joke. And so I hope you like that one when <laughs> she when the first one. T turns on the turn signals, and the second one goes, yes, oh, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> that was fun. Believe me, it's fun just to say, and I hope you like to pass that along. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. the poetry corner i was just wondering what those string quartet players do when they're not playing our theme there i hope they're happy because i like them and you know what i don't know what kind of background you have in listening to string quartets but folks there's so many great string quartet music out there and there are great players out there Whew, boy oh boy you know what if you see a local concert being put on by one give it a try and uh, in any case, this is a great poem. I love the whole Poetry Corner concept because just giving you one, finding one and giving it, is uh, it makes me happy. And uh, this is a poem written by the great William Ernest Henley. And uh, he lived from 1849 to 1903 a poet and editor in late Victorian England, and he's best known for having written the poem Invictus, which Nelson Mandela used to recite to other prisoners when he was on Robben Island. And uh, so William Ernest Henley, well, he made his mark, and it was a good mark, and this is a poem called A Love by the Sea. Out of the starless night that covers me, O oh, tribulation of the wind that rolls, Black as the cloud of some tremendous spell, The susurration of the sighing sea Sounds like the sobbing whisper of two souls That tremble in a passion of farewell. To the desires that trebled life in me, O oh, melancholy of the wind that rolls, The dreams that seemed the future to foretell, The hopes that mounted herward like the sea, To all the sweet things sent on happy souls, I cannot choose but bid a mute farewell. And to the girl who was so much to me, 
O lamentation of this wind that rolls, since I may not the life of her compel out of the night beside the sounding sea, full of the love that might have blent our souls, a sad, a last, a long, supreme farewell. I think that's a lovely poem, isn't it, folks? Someone else's great look at love. William Ernest Henley. Thank you, William. Same as the joke, folks. If you like that, pass it on to someone you care about. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, the Triple M, Magic Movie Moment. With the greatest piano note in history at the end there. This is a wonderful movie, and I hope you've seen it, and I hope you will if you haven't. It's called Mr. Roberts, from 1955, directed by John Ford, starring Henry Fonda, James Cagney, William Powell, Jack Lemmon, Betsy Palmer, and so many others. It's a great movie, folks. And by the way, all, all you have to say about a movie to me anyway is directed by John Ford. Boy, he's, he's the best, you know. I, I've mentioned this before, I think, but... Uh, when Orson Welles was asked who his favorite director was of all time, name he was said, name your three favorite directors. And he said, John Ford, John Ford, and John Ford. And, well, that's witty, and Welles was always great. But I agree. I agree completely. Anything by John Ford is a great story. It's, a, it's like a painting. And it's beautifully made, beautifully thought through. Beautifully put together. And what a cast. Henry Fonda, James Cagney, William Powell, Jack Lemmon. Those are the, well, the four main stars of this. And it's a great movie, folks. It's about a ship in World War II in the Pacific. And it's not a ship that's in the fighting. It's a ship that picks up things that have, well, that need to be picked up. Things that don't work anymore. It chugs along. It's a big ship. And uh, James Cagney is the captain, and Henry Fonda is uh, the lieutenant, Lieutenant J.G., which is junior grade, but that was a good honor, and uh, William Powell was the doctor. And I think all doctors were, like today, I think all doctors were captains, and Jack Lemmon played Ensign Pulver, and that became another movie in itself, Ensign Pulver, and I think a TV show, too, Ensign Pulver. But, folks... It's a wonderful movie. Please see it. And the magic movie moment for me from this movie, well, there are several actually, but there's one. Henry Fonda as Lieutenant Roberts has been trying to get off this ship for years. He wants to be in the fighting in World War II in the Pacific. He wants it very much. They see fighting ships go past them all the time. And Henry Fonda wants to be on one of them. And he keeps f sending transfer forms. He keeps applying for, well, uh, another a shot, a chance to be on, the, on a fighting ship and to really make a difference in the war that, that he supports so deeply. And 
He doesn't get changed, though. He doesn't get the transfer because James Cagney, the captain, has to sign the form, and he refuses. He's just a mean, stodgy, cranky old fella. Jimmy Cagney there, well, one of the greatest actors of all time, but in this movie, wow. He plays the captain, and he doesn't like anyone, and they don't like him. He doesn't let the soldiers, the sailors, rather, he doesn't let any of the sailors off the ship. He hasn't granted any liberties for any sailors ever on that ship. And that drives, well, it drives men nuts there, but being on the ship there for six months, a year, two years, they're not off the ship. And, well, Henry Fonda is very popular with the men there, with the sailors, because they all know that he, Lieutenant Roberts, Mr. Roberts, stands up for them and always will. And Henry Fonda does something where he agrees he has a big fight with the captain, with James Cagney, and he agrees. He said, give the men one night of liberty. The next good port we get into, give them one night of liberty. And I will do whatever you want. He essentially says, I won't send any more transfer forms. I won't bother you with that. I won't bother you with any of the other things I do of, oh, let's get them the movies they like. And uh, I won't do any of that. And for the first time, well, they get their liberty, by the way. But for the first time after that, Mr. Roberts isn't so popular anymore because he's not standing up for them anymore. And a lot of the sailors, in fact, all the sailors on that ship really aren't nodding and smiling to him anymore. And they think he's just a turncoat and they think he's just looking for a promotion. They think he's just kissing up to the captain. But you and I know, watching the movie, that's not true. And finally, well, there's a, there's a, there's a big fight between Henry Fonda and Cagney again. And accidentally, Cagney leaves the loudspeaker system on in his cabin. And all the sailors hear the truth that it was Mr. Roberts sticking up for them, that he got them their liberty that he gets them everything they like and everything they want, and it's him fighting this captain that has kept life sane for them on board ship. And, well, William Pell, Jack Lemmon, they're all great, but it turns out Henry Fonda is surprised that just a couple of weeks later he gets his transfer to a big battleship that's always in the heart of the fighting, and he can't believe it. And... He says, he's on the ship, then the sailors say to him, they got it for him, that when they heard on the loudspeaker system what he had done for them and the kind of man he was, they sent in a transfer form for him. They just made a transfer form for Mr. Roberts, and they forged the captain's signature, and he got his transfer and he's so happy, and he's very grateful and very touched, and the sailors are all very touched, and Mr. Roberts gets that transfer, he goes, he gets to, goes to the battleship, and he's doing very well, and he writes letters to Frank Pulver, Ensign Pulver, and uh, then near the end of the movie, uh, Ensign Pulver gets another letter from Mr. Roberts, and Mr. Roberts is telling him again, well, what's been going on on the battleship and the kind of battles they've been in and that he misses 
Well, he misses the doctor, and he misses Mrs. Ensign Pulver, and he misses all the sailors, and he says, please say hello to them. It's very touching. And then you're touched, and I'm touched, too. And then the next letter is read by Ensign Pulver. There's one more letter from the same battleship, and it's from a good friend of Henry Fonda's, and that second letter lets them all know that Mr. Roberts was killed in action and that a suicide bomber crashed into the wardroom when Henry Fonda was sitting there. And it's very, very sad. And it's very, very touching. And finally, Ensign Pulver has the nerve. Finally, this gives him the guts. Finally, this gives him the sand. He stands up. He's so touched that his friend, Mr. Roberts, got that transfer, and now he's dead, killed in battle. And he just charges up to the captain's cabin, and he takes that little palm tree, that tiny tree, that tiny plant that the captain was trying to save and trying to grow, and he picks it up, and he flings it into the ocean, and he pounds on the captain's door, and James Cagney opens the door, and the last line in the movie is Jack Lemon scream, screams to the captain, What's all this crud about no movie tonight? And we see in James Cagney's face, Oh, no. Here's another one I'll have to deal with now. It's a terrific movie, folks. Please see it. Mr. Roberts from 1955, directed by John Ford, with the best cast ever. A great story, so well told. And that magic movie moment means a lot to me. That we find out what Mr. Roberts did, and what happened to him, and how it's changed, well, all of them, especially Ensign Pulver, and especially the captain. Please see it if you haven't seen it. Please see it again if you have. Mr. Roberts. It's fun. You know what and you know what you know what's also fun? Getting a car is fun. Now it's important I, I had forgotten about this, but getting a new car is fun. Well, I've had used cars, and I'm sure you have too. And you know what though? I had to get a new car as of about a week ago. I had a, a lease on a car, a Lincoln, a four-door Lincoln, and the lease was up. It was a three-year lease, and I had to get a new car. I, By the way, I'm still not sure what leasing means. <laughs> this is the truth. Our, My wife did the same thing. She had to get a, a car and a new car because we, we there's, a, there's a great fellow, Mark Gray, who runs his own leasing company, and he knows everything about cars, and I keep saying... To our business manager, our accountant, every time this happens, I keep saying to him, every time, okay, tell me again why I can't just buy the car. Can I not just pay, make payments on the car and own the car? Why, why do I have to lease the car? And every single time he explains it to me, and every single time, I still have no idea what he meant. He said, well, you know, this uh, means... That because, well, it's sometimes with taxes and it's dedicated this way and you, you really have to describe it uh, this way. I have no idea what he's talking about, but he explains it again. He says, just do it. Just call Mark and do it. 
And I do. I, you know, I, 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 I trust the both of them. And I said, oh, all right, okay. And you know what? I had to, uh, I had to look at a bunch of cars. And that's fine, too. You know what? It's fine. It's fun to go to a car dealership and say, you know what? Well, let's, because Mark recommended go to the Cadillac dealer and look at a couple of those. And he mentioned models. Because, you know, the models never sound like models. I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I can't get the names right anymore. I have to write down what he ever says. You, you know, you know, look at the model X, F, T, S, S, whatever the heck it is, you know, and I have to write it down or the F, X, 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 T, whatever they name these things. So I, you know, look at, and I like, there's a great Cadillac dealership near us uh, in the valley here. And, you know, it's in fact, in, in a lot of the books, it's so stylishly made in from the 1940s, I think it is. And it looks just fantastic. It's called uh, Casa de Cadillac, frankly. And uh, they, it's it's a wonderful place, and I've and I've gotten things before from there, and uh, but you know, and they're, they're nice people. I know them too. And the Cadillacs were they're, they're nice cars, but they were too expensive. The cars were okay, but they were more expensive than just okay. I mean, I you know, for that's a lot of money, as you know, with cars. And I thought that well, that's too much money. Once you start talking about, well, it's a, the prices are very high. You know this, and shouldn't the car then be better than okay? Shouldn't you actually sit in the car and drive it around for a couple of blocks and say, you know, this is a terrific car. This is a wonderful car. I could, I could almost love this car. But you know what? You do if if you don't, you say thank you. I went back there again to look at another model, the. XFTTX, or whatever the heck it was. And you know what? I went to a dealer, a Lincoln dealer, because they have, you know, another model, like just like the car I had, the MKSTXV, whatever it was called. But the car was good. It kept us well. We were safe in it, and I was grateful to the car. But then I was, and I looked, I sat in the new one, and uh, that, well, you know what? I was told not to get that car. Um, uh, Marty, our business manager, and Mark, who has the the leasing company there, just said, don't get another car like the one you just had. Don't ever do that. And I said, oh, okay. You know, that's the same thing, like like the model names. I said, okay, I got you. Well, why? Why, why shouldn't I? And I? It's not that I love the last one, but why, you know, why should I not uh, get another one just like it, but like three years better? And uh, they both said, in fact, three people just said, you never get a car because they're going to cancel it in a year. That model will be canceled. And you don't want to be driving a car that's just been canceled. And, you know, they made it sound so dramatic. And they all said that, by the way, at different times. And I just said, well, yeah, I, 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 I see what you mean. And then after a pause, I'd say, wait, what? I don't... Why is that bad? If if I I don't want to get another one of these necessarily, but supposing I did, now why is that? If I have it for a year or two years or three years, but then it's been canceled and there's another one that looks better than that or that's a new Continental or something or other, why is it bad if I have the old one? Can I not go to restaurants now? I mean, I don't understand why that's just bad. And they said, don't do it, don't get it. Okay, okay, I promise I won't. And uh, 
They had that dealership also, that was Galpin, and uh, that dealership has Volvos in it and uh, Jaguars in it. And I was told also, Mark said, look at the Volvo XX or whatever the thing is. And I, I Volvos are great cars, and but I sat in it and then drove it around, and it didn't do much for me. I mean, it's okay. It's fine. They're all okay. And then I sat in the Jaguar and drove that one around, and, well, it's just okay. And the Jaguar is very expensive. These cars are loony. They're so expensive. I mean, that Jaguar is really up there. And then I, uh, so I wasn't in love with any of these. And then I, well, then I went to the Lexus dealer. And I was looking at two models there. The the uh, the fancy one, the XS Fancy. And then the one below that, which is the XS Below Fancy. And uh, I looked at the two of them, and it's again the same thing. Frankly, they're very expensive, and they're just okay. And all right, and uh, then I uh, went to an Audi dealer, and uh, I think I'm I think I'm at a higher point in life than I used to be because I used to call them Audis. I I never really knew much about them, but that's like my dad, God bless him, always used to pronounce for a sob. He used to say sab. You know, uh, he always just say, you know, your Uncle Arnie has a sab. And that's fine with me, too. But, you know, I looked at all these cars, and they were, you know, okay, I like the I like the Audis uh, a little better than the, the Lexus. And then, all right, you know what? And I started to think about, well, what should I get now? What, what are, Shouldn't these cars be something really appealing to you? And th- they should. And I remembered, what was the first car I got? I was a freshman at college, and my my two friends and I, Willie Kitts and Jack O'Donnell, we were all freshmen, and we decided one morning on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, we decided we wanted to go get a car. We wanted to go buy a car. Now, I know, by the way, you might be thinking, wait, if it's a Tuesday or Wednesday, didn't you have class? Didn't you go to class? Didn't you have to go to class? Well, frankly, that's that's just a stupid thing to say. Well, of course we had classes, but no, no, we didn't want to go. We wanted to go buy a car. And we were freshmen, and we wanted to go. There was a used car lot on Route 9, and this is in western Massachusetts. And boy, oh boy, we, well, we hitchhiked down there, and you couldn't half walk. It was just a few miles, and we got down there, and it was a, wasn't a fancy place, which appealed to us even more. It was the... Fella had about twenty cars there, and they were off. It was kind of gravel and dirt where the cars were, and they were just off Route Nine. And uh, we saw a car that always appealed to me it was a '61 Chevy, an Impala, four door, and hardtop. And you know this was, and it was seventy five dollars. And we thought the three of us, and we thought, wow, there are three of us. That's twenty five dollars a piece. And we could get a car. We could own a car. We'd never owned, none of us had ever owned a car before. So we got that one. We signed up. And it wasn't a it wasn't a fancy thing to sign for. It wasn't like, well, you have to sign this. You have to sign that. You got to make sure you put your thumbprint on this. There was nothing like that. It was just more or less giving the guy $75 in cash. And he was a nice fellow, an older man. And we drove off that lot. And our new car, well, it wasn't new, but 61 Chevy 
four-door hardtop, and we were so happy. We drove it back to campus, and we parked it somewhere. You know, you could park it up on a lawn, at, well, at this fraternity that we were joining. But, I mean, you know what? It was only after another week or two we began to realize, first of all, uh, in the front passenger seat, we, you know, if 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 you lifted the uh, the rubber mat, the floor mat, you realize, well, you could see there was no floor, and I I don't mean by the way it was a little shaky, or there was a hole in it, there was no floor, and no means none, the floor wasn't there, and it was I mean it was, it was as big as the floor mat itself, the hole in the floor which showed the road going by. And, well, you know, you could drop bombs out of that hole. And uh, there was no floor. And then we realized we took it up. A friend of ours had uh, a lift for cars, and we took it up, put it up there, and there was no A-frame, you know, the the frame that actually (laughs) makes it a car that you can put together. And so after about a month, no, it was about six weeks, just before two months, and we had, you know, taken friends around. I drove one friend to the Springfield Airport. Yeah, that's in western Massachusetts. And uh, and then I drove back, and it worked fine. I mean, but we really we began to realize that it was the, the car had been good to us, and yet there was really no car to the car, <laughs> no floor, no frame. So we drove it back after two months. We drove it back down. Route 9, went back to the used car dealer, and we said to him, you know, gee, there's, we like the car, but there's no car here. <laughs> it's just, and he knew what we meant, and he, he was a nice enough fella, so he just gave us our $75 back in cash and took his car back, and again, it was sort of just casually done. There was no need to, we didn't have to sign anything or do more thumbprints about anything. And that was my first car, a 61 Chevy for $75. But I remember, I remember my favorite car was, well, when I first moved out to California here in the early 80s, well, you got to have a car. Everyone knows that. The colonel knows it. I know it. And you know what? You need a car. That's in Southern California. You've got to get around and you've got to get around with a car. And I wasn't going to, you know, you save enough money. That's how you move to Hollywood in show business. You put your your sneakers and underwear in the bag. And after three or four years of working in the clubs in New York, that was the way we did it. That was how we did it. And I, well, I needed a car. So I called Leno up and he was, well, he's always a great guy. Uh, Leno was just a terrific comic and was always a great guy. And we were friends. And I, I said, do me a favor. I, uh... I want to get a car, and he loves cars. He knows everything about cars. He, we used to say he might as well have a rotating golf sign on his front lawn. And, I mean, he can do anything with cars. If He, he had a, a kind of a part of his basement there that was he turned into a workshop. He could take apart a Packard engine from 1933 that he had just gotten a hold of. He could take it apart, put it back together. Or leave it apart. He just loved everything about cars, knew everything about cars. And he said, yeah, I'd be glad to help. And he said, I'll find an ad in the paper for a car that looks right for you. And, uh, you know, we weren't going to get a good, I wasn't going to get a new car. And he found one 
just after a couple of days, right off the bat, there was, well, the classic little old lady from Pasadena. And she had a 1963 Chevy again. And it was four-door hardtop again. It was white with sort of blue-ish interiors and blue seats, blue, same bluish seats. And they were bench seats, what people used to call bench seats, what I and my family, I think most Americans used to just call seats. That's the way the car had seats. And, folks, that was a terrific car. And we went to her house, this this old lady's house, and on uh, one, of, one of Leno's motorcycles, in fact. It gave me a ride on the back. We drove down there, and it was $600, remember? And he said, uh, go inside, talk to the lady, ask her about the car, and I'm going to take a look at it. Because that's what he does. He he can do this. He would take pick the hood up and look at the whole thing. And the uh, the old lady was very sweet. And she took me inside and gave, got me a glass of lemonade. And uh, we sat there for five or ten minutes just chatting about, well, life. And about how nice it was to move to Southern California. And Jay knocked on the door and came in. And he nodded at me and smiled and said, you know what? Looks good. It looks, in fact just right. looks terrific. I think this is the car for you. And I had that money also, again, in cash. I gave her $600 in cash. And the same thing, I walked out of there and got in the car. Leno got back on his motorcycle. He got home first, not surprisingly. But you know something, folks? That was my favorite car. It was in great shape, it, the body was just fine. Oh, it, it had a little ding or a little scratch here and there. But I mean, that was those were good signs on this car. That showed the car had been around to good places. I drove it to Angels games and a couple of Dodgers games. And uh, the car looked great there at Dodger, because Dodger Stadium is, <laughs> let's be honest, it's used to seeing old Chevys. You know, they might as well... This is not the first time an old Chevy parked at Dodger Stadium. And uh, it's as if they're saying, hey, it's baseball. We get a lot of old Chevys. And I went there. And in fact, after one Angels game, I went with uh, two of my friends. And we got two cases of beer. And, well, to be honest, we polished them off in the car on the way down to Angel Stadium and on the way back. And I mean, polish them off. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, and then we take the empty cans and just throw them on the floor or throw them on the seat. Empty. And you know what? Well, that time, I that, that night we got back from that game, and I'm telling you, folks, this was two cases of beer. And every single can was on the floor, on the front, on the passenger side, in the back, and uh, on on the seats on the floor, but it was it was as if it had been done by candid camera. It was filled with empty beer cans. And I went to the comedy store and did a show that was just one or two nights later. And I was pulled over after that show. I was heading home. It was about, maybe about eleven or midnight. I was pulled over by the police. I still don't even know what I was doing wrong, but I, I didn't think anything wrong. And. Uh, and the, the cop came over to the car. I pulled over, of course, and he came over and said, uh, "I've done something or other, you know." I but I, as soon as he leaned in the car, well, he saw it was filled with beer cans, 
and they were empty. And he said, where were you? You shouldn't have all these in the car. And I just said, well, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a comedian. I was just doing a show up at the comedy store. And and uh, you're right, frankly, I shouldn't have. And I, I didn't have anything to drink tonight. But uh, this was when my, a couple of my friends and I went to see the Angels playing just, you know, this last week and a couple of days ago. And uh, I haven't cleaned the car yet. We decided to avoid talking about, well, why were they in the car? So you were drinking in the car? Well, we decided to avoid that. And this uh, policeman was very nice. And uh, he took me at my word. And I was obviously being honest. And I, he just, he sent me away. He let me go. He you know, didn't give me a ticket. Whatever he had pulled me over for. And he just said, uh, do yourself a favor. And uh, you going home now? And I said, yeah. And he said, Clean this thing up first thing tomorrow. That's probably a good idea for you. And I said, you know what? It probably is. Thank you. And he walked back to his car, the one with the lights on it. And I uh, drove my girl, that Chevy, back down to my apartment and parked on the street there. But you know something? There were a lot of good memories in that car, in that Chevy. And it was kind of my favorite car. We don't have favorites like that anymore we don't have makes that we always get we used to have that you know people were something that well you know for instance i was i was, I was saying to the colonel before that when i was a kid the buick electra was always called a doctor's car well that's a doctor's car and because where i grew up on long island and anywhere in the new york city area there in the in the whole tri-state area Everyone knew that it was a stereotype, but it was true that doctors, almost all doctors, drove Buick Electras. And it was kind of perfect for a doctor's car because it was a nice car without being a fancy car. And they were strong and they were safe. But we don't do that anymore. I don't think we have that anymore. My, my family was a Chevy family. We had three of them and we were Chevy people. And that's probably why I always liked them, even as an adult. One of these days, if I ever went crazy and, you know, had a bunch of dough and wanted to invest in cars, I would get a couple of the cars that my uh, my parents used to have, a couple of the Chevys. Like one, a 68 two-door Impala with a, with a black vinyl roof, and it was uh, green. It was kind of like an army green and a black interior, I'd like to get one of those again. And uh, some of the other cars my parents used to have, we were Chevy people. Gene Shepard, the great Gene Shepard, he's a wonderful writer. He wrote so many good books and articles. Gene Shepard, by the way, wrote A Christmas Story, the great movie A Christmas Story, and he was the narrator in that. God bless him. What a guy this was. And he always described his father. I think this was in the movie, The Christmas Story. He always described his father as being an olds man. He would drive Oldsmobiles. And he said he his dad was such an olds man that you could wake him up in the middle of the night and just suddenly say, what are you? And he'd, he'd say, I'm an olds man. And you know what? So... I think we used to have things like that that we used to do. We, we 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 were. I don't understand leasing 
anymore. Maybe I never did. But because people always say, you know, uh, don't rent where you live, buy where you live. Because renting, why? Is it, is it a waste of money? But these are the same people who always say, don't buy a car, lease the car. Well, isn't leasing renting, though? I'm not sure I, I, I see the difference. I understand that if you lease a house, if you rent a house and lease it, the owner pays for everything. I understand that. Pipes, leaking roof, toilets, electricity, maintenance. You pay nothing, owner pays everything. Lease a car, owner pays nothing, you pay everything. Whether it's change the oil, new battery, or as Bugs Bunny used to say, battery, and rewire the car, uh, you know, the for the air conditioning, and new tires, you take it to the store, and you pay. And you know what? They were very nice. A lot of the salespeople were so nice to me. When I was looking at Audis, everyone was so nice in there, and that the head of sales came over, he was a very nice fella, and he shook hands. He introduced himself. I was sitting at the desk with one of the salesmen, and he handed me his card, and he said, you know, I'm the, the head of sales here. He said, uh, I want to tell you, and he said something very nice about, you know, me as a comedian and an, and an actor. He said, you're my guy, and he said, I want you to know you call me if you're going to do business here because you get the keys to the city, and I... I thought that was so nice. I I wanted to say, oh, what city, by the way? Van Nuys? Because I, I, I like Van Nuys. That's a pretty good city. And uh, he was very nice and said, the sky's the limit. And by the way, they all sent me an email. Every dealer I went to, every salesman and every head of something or other, sent me an email after that in the next few days, and they were very nice. And then it dawned on me, I didn't give them my email. It, it suddenly hit me in the head, wait a minute, I didn't give out my email. How did they get it? And they all got it. Where? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. And, uh, in fact, I I have to send them all back a nice letter. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be polite, just thanking them? Well, folks... I got an Audi, not from the dealer there, but from Mark, leasing it, and it's really good. I've had it for two days. I drove my younger son to school in it this morning, and you know what? He'll be driving it too soon. Why not? He wants to, and why shouldn't he? And uh, I still don't understand anything in the car, on the car. I don't understand any of this, and I don't need to. The Audi guy explained everything in it to me. He got in the car with me when he delivered it a couple of days ago, and I don't know what the buttons do, but, you know, and he explained everything, but after about 10 minutes, I just stopped him. I don't know about you, but I just said, look, you know what? You're a nice fella, and uh, I'm glad you know all about Audis. And, and by the way, he had a German accent. So I said, well, that's perfect. You're right for the car. The car's right for you. And I couldn't remember the, anything he was saying anyway. And yes, it's true that you could make the argument that every single one of these people all deserve a walk to the volcano. But no, they don't. I remembered how much fun it was to get a car, to look at cars, and to want to get a new car, and to buy a new car somehow. Rent it, buy it. 
It's fun, folks, and we all forget this, but I know it now. And you and I know the same things. We know that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's the truest thing I know. Doesn't matter how you drive there, just get home safely, and we'll see you here next time.